It's been a great week for us here at the Brook family, and it's so sweet to see you guys here as we have launched, as Jeremy mentioned last week, two Sunday morning worship gatherings. And uh, to be really, really forthright, this is a huge step for us. It's a, it's a large step of faith, believing that God has set us in a trajectory to reach our community. And we set as our ambition to create space on a Sunday morning so that we can be bold in our community and have people gather in a greater number with us. Our desire is to see both our 9.30 and 11.30 services flourish in order that we can make disciples, which is followers of Jesus, and then continue to send people out on God's great mission, the mission that was mentioned here in this video of how Jesus is glorious and how he changes lives. It's been a good week. We've had a few of our real community groups had the opportunity to send donuts and bagels and coffees to three schools in our community just as a way of saying, hey, we're praying for you. And the responses have been wonderful. It's so encouraging. We were at the pumpkin patch in droves last week as a, as a church. It was fun mingling, seeing you guys connect with our neighborhood. And lo and behold, Halloween is right around the corner. And we, as the Brooks, see Halloween as prime time to connect with our neighbors. When else during the year do your neighbors show up at your front steps asking you for something? <laughs> you tell me. Halloween gives you a great face time with the community. So even now, begin to think, okay, how can we use our home, our front door, as a launch pad to get to know our neighbors? Maybe you're going to provide like apple cider or hot chocolate or chili. Just be creative. Begin thinking about that now. And we'll be talking as a church how we want to use our building as an avenue to meet our neighbors in the community and providing candy as well. So I want to put that on your radar as we think about reaching our neighborhood. We want to connect with our local schools, with the park, and with our neighbors. And God has just primed us for this great season. But it's going to be a step of faith that we're all going to step out in together. This is not a one, two, or three-person thing is it's us as a church family engaging God's mission in sweet ways. I want to pray as we get into our scripture for this morning. Um, And as we pray, I just want to again welcome those who are newer to the brook. Maybe it's your first time, second, third time, and we're so thrilled you're with us. We pray that you would encounter the Jesus that we love talking about and that today's message will be a part of that for you. So let's bow our heads together. Oh, Lord, it's so good, so good to just sing to you, God. Man, God, I just thank you for the gift of song. And, Lord, we've talked about this before, but there are certain things that just teaching cannot, certain ways that teaching cannot resonate in our hearts as singing does. And so thank you that, Lord, we can declare that we've been raised to life, that where sin was strong, that, Jesus, you're stronger Thank you that we could think about how deep your love, Father, is for us and displayed on Jesus, where our sin held him on the cross, but he was victorious for us. So, Lord, we pray you would build your kingdom among us. And, Lord, for all of us here today, we come with burdens. We come with all sorts of things that have just been um, piercing our hearts. And, Lord, I pray that today you would bring a fresh kind of freedom through faith in Jesus. Lord, we need you. I need you to show up, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you empower and fill me in a fresh way as I open the very words that you inspired to the people that you've created. Oh, so God, I know you're here, and I know you're about this work. So we bring it all to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yesterday, as a, as a family, we kind of took our Saturday to 
get the house organized. You know that season in Chicago where you kind of cry putting away your shorts? You're tearing up seeing your tank tops and your, your, your flip-flops going to the bin, and you're just like, why is this happening to me? <clears throat> that was yesterday for us, and we swapped out our summer clothes with our fall and winter clothes. And while we were doing that, man, the house got trashed. I mean, because you're pulling stuff out, and there's, like, just piles of clothes, and then that's, now it's revealing the other stuff you're hiding, you know, all summer and spring long, and now it's, it's out there. But you know, in order for the house to get organized and cleaned up, we got to get it out there. It, it's got to become visible. It's got to be made known. And that's the way God works with our hearts. You know, all of us, as I mentioned, man, we, we have burdens, man. we got things that weigh us down. Things in life that discourage us. And sometimes it's decisions that we've made that put us in that place. And sometimes it's a society we live in. What we want to do, though, is make sure that we all know that God doesn't want us to try to cover up what's on our hearts. He he doesn't want us to try to deal with it in our own way. But he wants us to, to make it exposed, to put it out there before him and say, God, I need you to deal with this I need you to answer this part where it's really struggling here. And sometimes for us, it's a matter of our faith that's battling. Sometimes we're struggling with our faith. We're struggling to fight for joy. And there's a certain kind of maybe ashamedness that we feel about it. A certain kind of disappointment that comes with it. Maybe it's our frequent failures as we try to love Jesus. Maybe it's just unanswered prayers, whatever it is, there are things in our life that cause us to battle and fight. And God is calling us to put it out there before him and say, give it to me. Lay it before him. Let him deal with it. God wants to raise up our faith today. And maybe you don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you've heard of him dying on the cross. You've seen pictures. You've even sung some songs, but you don't know him personally. Our prayer is that today God would raise up faith within you so that you would give your life to him. And see him deal with the things in our hearts in ways that only God can deal with through forgiveness, through faith, through repentance, which means turning from our sin and by giving us a new life. And there's others of us here who know this truth and God wants to cause us a a fresh focus in our faith. And there are words that are spoken by an individual in the story we're looking at today. He says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Have you ever been there? Where you know, God, I know you can do this, but I'm doubting it. I know you have the the power, God. I just don't believe you right now. And so I want you to repeat these words after me. Say, I believe. believe. Help my unbelief. unbelief. I believe. believe. Help my unbelief. We've all got unbelief in our hearts and our prayers that God would root that out and raise up faith within all of us. You know, a lot of times our faith stems from understanding our inadequacies, how broken we really are. But I want you to know this much. Don't be afraid to confront the fact that you're a broken individual or that you have failures and inadequacies because the acknowledgement of your brokenness makes you the perfect candidate for God's power and grace. And that's where God wants to meet us today. We're going to find ourselves in the book of Mark, chapter 9. We've been slowly, methodically plowing through the book of Mark. And we find ourselves in the middle of Mark, chapter 9, in the Bible. The book of Mark is a story of Jesus' life. 
and the story of how his followers grew to follow him. And we find ourselves in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29 today. It's a longer text. Looking forward to unpacking it with you guys. There are Bibles in front of you. If you don't own one, consider the one in front of you yours. It's our gift to you. The book of Mark's towards the end of your Bible in the New Testament. I'm going to read the first couple of verses here just to get them in front of us, make some observations, and then read a larger portion of the text today. Verse 14 begins where that video we just watched left off. Jesus was on the mountain. His body and his appearance was changed before Peter, James, and John. They saw his divine majesty. They saw his glory shine and radiate. And Jesus says, tell nobody what you saw until I've risen from the dead. They go down the mountain, and then verse 14 happens. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, saw Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. I'm going to pause before I continue reading there. Jesus comes down with Peter, James, and John, and he sees an argument taking place at the foot of the mountain. He sees the disciples arguing with a group that's called the scribes. The scribes are religious leaders within the Jewish faith who would write down the law. That's what they they would, they were scribes, they'd write it down, and they were experts in the law. And here, Jesus' disciples, minus Peter, James, and John, plus the scribes are having an argument, and there's a crowd surrounding them. And it says when that Jesus came down, the words Mark says is that they were greatly amazed there in verse 15. They were greatly amazed. The reason being, Jesus is the subject of their conversation and argument. And here they are. You ever have those moments where you're, there's a discussion come in place, and then here the person that you're reflecting upon shows up. Usually that's in the context of gossip, so don't do that. So here that's happening. Here the... The disciples and the scribes, they're having a conversation, probably about Jesus. Jesus shows up, and they're all greatly amazed. And then Jesus asks a question, which leads us to this story. Verse 16, he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Jesus directs his question to the whole crowd. And verse 17, someone from the crowd answered him, saying, teacher, can you say teacher? I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And read this with me. And they were not able. Verse 19, he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus immediately, it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. I'm going to pause there. Jesus comes down from the mountain and is immediately met with a very dramatic scenario. 
his disciples and the scribes are having an argument. The crowd is listening in. Jesus asks, what's going on? And then the truth is spilled out. A man comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, my son has a demonic spirit within him. And it makes him mute. And later we'll find out it makes him deaf as well. He can't speak. He can't hear. It convulses him. It throws him to the ground. He becomes stiff like a board. So I brought my son to you, Jesus, to your disciples. And they couldn't do anything about it. Imagine the man's profound disappointment when he sees the disciples and looks around. He's like, yeah, yeah, I see you. But, but you know, you know what I'm here for. Where, where's Jesus at? And he's nowhere to be found. Just imagine that. And so he had to settle for the disciples. And he's got nine of them there, so maybe he's optimistic. He says, this is my son. And the disciples are there trying to cast this demonic spirit out of the son to no avail. So now you understand why the scribes are there. They're arguing with the disciples. Everyone's mad. The dad is mad because his son is here in this predicament. The disciples are like, what's going on? How come we can't do this? The scribes are probably taunting them. Oh, you think you're powerful? Look at this. And this whole scenario is taking place. That's why they're greatly amazed when Jesus all of a sudden shows up. Like, oh, there he is, the one we were thinking about. Imagine the dad's optimism at that point. Isn't it interesting? He says, teacher, I brought my son to you. Teacher. The man knows Jesus as teacher, but he's going to soon see him as healer and as savior. Sometimes even the way we see Jesus affects the way we live out our lives. He's no mere teacher. He is our Lord. And here the man is there laying out his case before Jesus. Yes, there might be some medical symptoms to this child's predicament. It almost looks like an epileptic seizure of sorts. But make no mistake, this is no mere medical condition. Because at the sight of Jesus, the demon threw the child on the ground. There's a real problem taking place here. Church, when we see stories like this in Scripture, it's important for us to put ourselves in the shoes of the scenario that's taking place. You see, we see this boy here, and we think, okay, I've, I've never been... Uh, demon-possessed, perhaps. I've, I've never been thrown to the ground and cast by a spirit to the ground, feeling rigid, foaming in my mouth, being deaf and dumb, that, which is to say I can't speak or hear. But we got to understand that there are illustrations taking place here about this boy's bondage and predicament. What could the boy do to get himself out of this place? In fact, his dad had to bring him because the boy was powerless over what was holding his life in bondage. Church, we are born apart from God. And throughout our lives, we grow in different ways with different forms of bondage and strongholds in our life that hold us down. And is it wild that the boy couldn't speak or hear? He became desensitized to his environment. He, he couldn't tell what was really going on. And that's really what happens to us. There are various situations and circumstances in life 
choices of our own, things in our upbringing that lead us in a direction and we find ourselves walking now as young adults, as youth or as adults, feeling like we got handcuffs around our wrists. We are in bondage. We, we feel like we have strongholds in our lives. And the, these kind of strongholds, these, these fortified walls we put up have a twisted kind of comfort about them. We, we become so familiar with them, we think they're normal. We, we think it's part of our lives. And what Jesus wants us to see here is that these things are not God's will for us. Church, I need you to think in your heart. Okay, what are the kind of things in your life that you find yourself battling? Kind of strongholds that you find yourself in your weakest moments running to? What kind of bondages is God wanting to free you of even today, church? See, it's important for us to, to dig there a little bit. Because this boy is not much different than any of us in some ways. Sometimes it's just destructive lies we've believed about ourselves, and we hate ourselves. This is why cutting has become such an epidemic in our society, because Satan is about the destruction of people. And if he gets you to hate yourself, he gets you to destroy yourself. It's a stronghold that God wants to free us from. Sometimes it's various forms of addictions, even subtle ones with alcohol and weed and other kind of things. Or maybe it's more overt ones like drug abuse. Maybe it's pornography. And it holds you in bondage. You feel like you are a slave to it because you've got no power against it. And then what flows often from pornography is self-gratification, sexually speaking. And God is saying, we doesn't want you to live as a, as a slave to these things. See, this boy's bondage is not much different than a lot of our own. Sometimes we use our words to tear people down in order to build ourselves up. And that's kind of comfort, a twisted kind of comfort we have. A form of bondage, a stronghold unchecked anger, and we can go on and on and on. But for many of us, it's become so second nature, we think it's normal, or it's just the way it's going to be for me. I recently spoke with somebody who says, I know God is gracious and powerful and good. I'm just having a hard time believing he's that for me. Maybe that's where you're at today. You know God is good. You believe but there's unbelief. Not for me. And you see, these outward kind of expressions of our strongholds have only took, are only the outworking of what's taken root in our hearts and in our minds. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10 in a real powerful way. He says in verses 3 through 6, For though we walk in the flesh, human bodies, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. See, what God wants us to leave today knowing is that when we feel like we've got these strongholds and these forms of bondage in our life, that God has provided divine ways to destroy them. Verse 5 Paul continues on, we, dis we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience 
when your obedience is complete. Taking every thought captive. Paul understands that outward strongholds and bondages take root in our minds and our hearts before they reveal themselves outwardly. And so this situation with this young man and Jesus' disciples and the scribes and Jesus himself is much, much, much closer to home than we might think at first. See, church, what this boy needs is what we needed. We need something more than mere behavior modification. We need divine transformation. Behavior modification will change the way you act. It it, it will change the way you do things. It might even give you freedom from some addictions, which is good. But it can't demolish strongholds in the mind. It can't deal with the sinful problems of our hearts. Behavior modification cannot set us free from the bondages of sin, death, and Satan. See, our brokenness has invaded every crevice of our heart, every fiber of our being. And only Jesus can unlock the cuffs, tear down the strongholds, and give us the ability to walk in triumphant freedom. Now hear that. I said triumphant freedom, not perfection. You see, we, we, when we put our faith in Jesus, God puts us in a trajectory toward him. And we're called to walk and obey him and let the Spirit of God renew our minds and our actions and our lives. Because we're walking in freedom and in victory, knowing that perfection isn't unattainable in this life because this flesh, this broken body of ours, is going to continue to wreak havoc until we meet Jesus face to face. But that's the hope that we have in the journey, in the fight knowing that there is a culmination. There is light at the end. There is joy and hope and ultimately sinless perfection and glory before us in heaven. That's what Paul says again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't take these bodies into heaven with you. Every fiber has been corrupted by sin. You can't take this body with you. Something's got to happen. And Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is that. We're not all going to die. Jesus is going to come back one day. Those who are dead will be raised. But those who are alive will be taken with them. So we're not all going to die. But this one thing will happen. He says, we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, Paul says. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. What Paul is saying here is in this life, you're not going to reach immortality or an imperishable kind of thing because our bodies have expiration dates on them. Like that can in the cupboard. But what Paul says is that one day, our lives will be changed Our strongholds will be broken definitively, and we will be with Jesus in glory. And this is why Paul says this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Church, you find yourself living in strongholds, in bondage. Let Jesus free you. Isn't it wild that Jesus asks the Father, 
in verse 21, Jesus asked him and said, How long has this been happening? And he said to him, From childhood. Doesn't, doesn't that kind of sting to hear that? That this boy's plight has been like this from childhood. Some of your bondages, you're saying, man, I've been doing this a long time. I learned this when I was seven years old. I learned this when I was 10 years old. This has been part of my life. Jesus is going to free this kid. He offers that to you. Parents, this is a word for us. This boy's bondage is from his childhood. And if you have a child, God has given you a certain kind of responsibility to create a hedge of protection around your child. You can never protect them truly. We know this. But there are things in your responsibility as a parent to be proactive about the safety of your child. And I'm not just talking running in the street kind of safety, but their minds, their hearts, their eyes. Long are the days Parents, where we could give our children little supervision with media and, so, and social media. We can't let our kids just on our iPads or our phones without supervision. It's like a loaded weapon in their hands. From childhood. And I know it creates a lot of burden. It's hard work because it's so much easier to pass off the technology and say, hey, go busy yourself. I need some space. Been there. I understand that. But Netflix isn't safe. YouTube isn't safe. Your phone isn't safe. Your iPad isn't safe. None of this is not safe. It's not safe for you. You know that. Why for our children? And we've been given a privilege to protect, to preserve And by God's grace to keep pure according to our ability as parents. Yes, our children will make their own decisions. But let it not be because we were not careful to protect them. It's a weight to carry, but boy, what a joy it is at the same time. And maybe you don't have a child, but you are a spiritual parent. Or you're you're family. You, you, You come alongside of parents. You speak into their lives. Maybe they need a break, and you say, hey, don't give them the TV. Don't give them the Netflix. I'll take them for two hours. I'll help you. That's why as a church, we're a family that comes alongside of one another to bless and encourage. This boy's bondage existed from childhood like some of our own. And the father is saying, is there freedom for my child? What I love is his father knew where to come. With this child's bondage. In Luke chapter 4, I love this passage. Jesus goes into his hometown of Nazareth. And he shows up in the synagogue. And he opens up the book of Isaiah. From Isaiah 61, I believe it is. And he starts reading this passage. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty. Say liberty. To the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set a liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus gets up in the synagogue. He reads that. He goes to his seat and he says, this text is fulfilled in your hearing. That's a word right there. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring liberty to the captives. Jesus is saying, that's fulfilled now. I'm the one to set the captives free. Romans 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus because Jesus sets captives free. That's what he's about. That's his mission. And I love that the father brought his son to Jesus saying, my son is a captive. He's got strongholds. He's in bondage. Jesus' word in the street is, you can set him free. So he brings him to Jesus, telling him, this demon often throws him into fire and into water to kill him. Maybe you feel like death is the best solution for your life. This is not so. This is not so. Satan's ambition is to destroy you. God's ambition is to raise you up and give you life. And Jesus proves it. Verse 23, I'm sorry, in verse 22, I'm going to read that again. And has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Hear the dad's plea. If you could do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus replies in verse 23, if you can. It's like Jesus saying, you know who you're talking to? It's like we say, Jesus, if you can, would you forgive me? If you can, I want you to cross for you. Jesus, if you can, can you set me free? If I can, I came to bring liberty to the captives. Jesus, if you can, I came to set slaves free. Jesus' words to the fathers, if you can, it's rhetorical. I can do this. It's what I came for. All things are possible for one who believes, Jesus tells them. All things are possible for the one who believes. Boy, you might be saying, man, Jesus, I know you can, but I'm having a hard time believing it for me. Well, you're in good company. Because look at verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out, just his desperation, he cried out saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. Say it with me. I believe. believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. This man's prayer is a prayer for the ages. And when Jesus saw a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit who has desensitized this child, I command you, come out of him and never, say never, never never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. Isn't that what strongholds do to us? Little do we know we're dying inside. We're like, it's like we're laying lifeless, colorless, motionless. Jesus 
casts out this demon, breaks the stronghold, sets him free. And there he is, de- he is there, and people think he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand. He lifted him up. He'll do that for you. And the boy arose. The boy arose. See, the spirit convulsed the boy violently. And sometimes, I mentioned, we have a twisted kind of comfort and enjoyment of the things we know are killing us. And it is painful to break that. And just as this boy was convulsed terribly, you feel like, I just, I just can't let go, but I know I need to. Jesus, help me here. And Jesus does it. See, church, recognizing your inadequacy and brokenness makes you a perfect candidate for God's grace and power as you believe in him. Well, the disciples got a lingering question here. They got a problem with the situation. And in verse 28, when he had entered the house, this is now a private conversation, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? I mean, if I'm wondering that question, like, Jesus, what was up with that? We've been with you for some time now. We've seen you do this a lot. Why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You can tell others about the bondage you're facing. You can keep it secret. You can try to drink it away. You can wild out and be reckless. You can cry about it. But until you bring it to your Father in heaven, you can't know freedom. Jesus has come to set you free today, to put you in a new direction. What is it about prayer that makes this different? We've said this before, but prayer is the game plan, not the bailout plan. Prayer is how we proceed, not what we do when we've got nothing else to do. That being said, that being said, God invites us to come to him even when we've chosen to reject him in the process. And sometimes that's what we've got to do to learn, and we don't, we don't want that. God doesn't want that for you. And sometimes our hearts are so stubborn and so hard and so prideful that he's got to break us down and then finally say, God, I've been trying this on my own. Please help me. But let that not be the norm. Let prayer be your game plan, not your bailout plan. Let prayer be your starting point, not your last resort. See, prayer is powerful not because the action of praying is powerful. Prayer is powerful because the one to whom you pray is powerful. Every world religion prays. Their prayers are not powerful because they pray to someone or something that is is impotent. Our God is potent, omnipotent. And prayer comes before our God and says, God, I know you can. I need you. God delights in prayer because what it does, it shows your need and it shows his might. 
God loves to come through because he delights in displaying his power and making his name known. Now, sometimes we have a hard time reconciling that because there are times where he doesn't answer our prayers the way we've wanted. And this is why we say, I believe, but help my unbelief because I've got a lot of unbelief because of unanswered prayer. And what God needs us to do is take a step back and see him and what he's doing and know in confidence that he is good and that he's at work even in the things we don't understand. Prayer comes before our God. And even in our weaknesses, he uses that to make his power known. There are times your bodies are failing you from a health standpoint. Maybe you're just broken over conditions of people in your life that you love so much. And in prayer, you're crying out to God for strength. And maybe he doesn't remove your illness. Maybe he doesn't fix the problems you're facing. But he sustains you. He grants you the grace to endure. It's like what Paul happened in his own life. Where he talks about this thorn in his flesh. This, this thing that pierced him regularly. And he went to God and says, God, please remove this thing from my life. We don't know what it is. But all we know is that prayer, that Paul, a prayer warrior, a man who teaches us about prayer, one of the godly leaders of the Bible who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, is a man of prayer, comes before God, and God says, no, I'm not going to remove it. But he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What Paul is saying is when Jesus chooses to not answer my prayers, but he gives me strength to endure the circumstance, I'll receive that because his strength is on display and his power is being exalted. So whether or not he gives you the prayers you ask for, or whether or not he tells you, I'll sustain you, Jesus receives all the glory no matter what. I love how this story draws our attention to three different characters. I want to conclude with these points. You notice the father with his frail faith. And how he's there saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. And a lot of us say, I resonate with that. Use that prayer in your prayer arsenal. To say, I'm going to take that one straight from the book. I'm going to get on my knees and say, God, I believe. But help my unbelief. From a child's standpoint, we see the strongholds and bondage of his life. Much like the ones we face in ours. And just as Jesus brought freedom, you must believe that he has come to set you free. And where the disciples are wondering what's going on, Jesus reminds us that our faith is active through prayer. The disciples were attempting supernatural tasks through natural means. That's whenever we do anything without praying. And what Jesus is saying is, no, you might have seen what I've done, but you've got to pray. You've got to trust the Father in heaven to show and reveal his power. Church, repeat after me. I believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. Well, I want to invite you to put your clothes on the bed. Put out your mess before God. 
Say, God, this is my strongholds. These are my burdens. These are my addictions. These are the handcuffs. Would you set me free? I believe, Jesus. And help my unbelief. The prayer of the broken makes you a perfect candidate for God's grace and power to be manifested in your life. We learned that from here. And we've seen it in our lives. And let's continue to walk in this way, church, so that at the end, God would be glorified by making his strength perfect in your weakness. Let's pray. Almighty God, we need you so bad. I lift up my brother or sister in this room, God, who's been trying in natural ways to deal with a supernatural problem. God, I pray, God, that they would learn to come before you even this morning and say, Lord, give me freedom from my sin. Deliver me from my bondage, from these strongholds that keep me in bondage. Lord, I pray you would cause faith to rise up today, that we would set our affections upon the cross of Jesus upon which our sin was laid on Jesus' shoulders so that he could set us free. Oh, Lord, I pray you would bring about repentance today. That we would confess our sin before you, confess the ways we've tried without you. And, Lord, I pray that we would be able to celebrate today that though our sin was strong, Jesus, you're stronger. Raise us up, God. Give life to the dead today, Lord. Give freedom to the slave. In Jesus' name.